गुरुर् ब्रह्मा गुरुर्विष्णु गुरुदेव महेश्वरा गुरु साक्षात पारब्रह्मा तस्मै श्री गुरवे नमः I bow to God and Guru in all of you. I would like to read from Conversations with Yogananda a passage which doesn't put me in that good a light, but it's based on truth and it's important. The Master had me join him on a number of occasions when he was receiving guests. One visitor came several times, always with great enthusiasm. When it came to learning the teachings, however, his exuberance was less in evidence. The master asked me to instruct him in the techniques, but after this man had missed several appointments and hadn't even explained the reason for his absence, I decided that what he was interested in was more the glamour of being with the master than absorbing the substance of the teachings. He isn't sincere, I said to the master the next time this man had scheduled a visit. The master smiled. Well, we'll have fun today. That was his only comment. What followed was the usual enthusiasm on the visitor's part and the master's smiling acceptance of him for who he was. I'm afraid that for my part, I was far from being so accepting. Later the master remarked to me how dry you were toward him. How many would be left here if I had behaved toward all of you that way, so unforgivingly? Throughout that man's long life, in fact, he retained toward the master in a rather unusual fashion the attitude of a devoted disciple. You know, one of the Beautiful things about a guru is his love. It's not conditioned by anything. And it's not that we stand in awe and say, oh, he loved that way. We've got to learn what the guru did. We have to learn to become also. These great saints and masters are born in this world, even when they don't have to come, to set an example for the rest of us how we should behave. We love people usually because of how they behave toward us, or we approve or disapprove of their actions. In this case, I, I don't know how sincere that man was. He was a, actually he was a wonderful person, but if he didn't want to learn, then what was he for? And yet I have to say, he's now in his nineties, and I know him still, and he's, he's his own peculiar kind of type. But he does love the Guru, and he loves God. That's what Master looked for in people. He, there was one unbelievable case of a friend, a disciple who came to him, who was very worldly in a way, but he had a very pure heart. He was worldly more in his attitudes and his habits and so on, but there was the simplicity of a child inside. That's what Master always saw. He didn't see the appearance. He didn't show to see the show. He saw your heart. And I say you. I don't say me or our. Because these great masters are always with us. They don't sit up there in the Himalayas doing nothing. They're sending out emanations of consciousness, of blessing. 
And God is always in your heart. We should live in that thought that God is there always, watching our thoughts. What, what Yogananda showed to us was a total impartiality, how we liked him, whether we liked him. I remember somebody writing him a very scathing letter one time in deep delusion. And Master's only comment was, you should take up, you should do more writing. That was the best letter Satan ever wrote me. He had nothing but appreciation. He never thought of himself. He never saw himself in relation to others. He didn't give to others in proportion to how much they gave to him, except this much is true, that he gave them how much they could take. He knew what they were ready for. If they had showered the kind of love on everyone that he could shower on his close disciples, that wouldn't have been good for those people. It would have harmed their egos. But inside, he always loved. When I first met him, he made a promise to me that I just, uh, I still am trying to understand. He said, I give you my unconditional love. That means no matter what I do, he will always love me. This is the kind of love you want to win from God. You do have it, but to get it verbally from a guru, to get it actually stated as a promise, that's quite a promise. I don't vaunt myself on it. I say, oh, isn't that something worth looking for, worth working for? Because how many mistakes we make in life? And the tendency is, when we make a mistake, to sort of think, oh, I hope he didn't see that one. But you know he did. How did he? Because he's you. You can't separate yourself from him. Every single thought, he's closer to you than your own thoughts. Because he is you. He's at the very core of your being. It's he who became you. And in a way, because God has many, many dimensions, in a way he suffers through your suffering. In the Shastras it says that God created the universe that he might enjoy himself through many. But does he enjoy himself when people suffer? Does he enjoy himself when people are ill? Does he enjoy the hatred and the evil and the jealousy and the greed? Of course he can't enjoy that. Except as, well, yes, I've written plays in my life. I used to want to be a playwright. And I remember enjoying writing the part of the villain. But it's a different kind of joy. It's just that how villainous can I make him kind of thing and make him still believable. God in that way uh, enjoys. But that's not the kind of way I mean. God really enjoys himself through many when we have reached the point where we can enjoy him in ourselves. In other words, your destiny is to help God to enjoy himself in you. When you find his joy, when you find that behind all your likes and dislikes and your ups and downs, your successes and your disappointments, when you can reach that point where Really, you feel joy inside. You know, years ago, I went through a great, great test. I was in great suffering. And I had to give a talk. And people afterwards said they felt so much joy 
I felt joy. That's the one thing I wasn't conscious of was joy. And then when they having having said that, I when they said that, I sort of thought, well, yes, underlying my present pain, there was joy. From years of meditation. If you will meditate every day, you will find that it begins to develop a certain underlying current in your consciousness so that even when the strain becomes great, and yes, you reach the point where you're above even that, but even when the pain and the suffering seem uppermost, they won't really be there. There will be this undercurrent of happiness. That is who you really are. The more you meditate, the more that begins to come up. Because you see, you really are joy. You are made from joy. There is no other reality in the universe but Satchitanandam. God created everything out of bliss. But he broke that bliss up into so many relativities that it looks as if some of them are miserable and some of them are glad and all the variety. But underneath it all, there is if you can look deeply enough, there is that joy. Underneath it all, if you go into a quiet place, you will hear Om. Underneath all the experiences of life, God is always there. He's watching. He's caring. Now, where do you get the ability to love? You see, the problem with man is this ego thought that we create, we do, we love, we hate, we feel joy, we feel sorrow. But the truth is that we are a part of a greater reality. We are a part of an infinite love. That's how we can love. We don't create anything. We can only give manifestation to that which exists. And if you will try to manifest the love in your own nature, if you will, like a song of mine, which we'll be singing later, what is love? Is it only ours? Or does love whisper in the flowers? Surely we children of this world could not love by our own powers. It's God's power that gives us the ability to love. I remember back when I was sort of learning to write music and songs, and I used to attend a group of people who used to sit together and sing, and there were people of all ages there, and uh, I remember I drove a few of them home, and there was this teenage girl, about 16 years old, and she announced that she didn't believe in love. Well, I'd had a discussion earlier that evening with a young man, 18 or so, and uh, he told me he didn't believe in God. And I tried to show him how, uh, for all logical points of view, um, there just has to be a God. But he couldn't accept it for the simple reason, and this is the only reason people really are atheists. He had a definition of God, and he couldn't fit any concept of what God ought to be with that definition. It's definitions people don't believe in. Otherwise, everybody knows he exists. That's already belief in God. Life is, existence is, God is. But anyway, I won't go into that right now. The point is that this girl, why well, let her off at her home, and then this so-called self-styled atheist turned to me in amazement. He said, can you believe in that, not believing in God? I looked at him with a smile and I said, and you call yourself an atheist? 
If you believe in love, you believe in God. If you believe in joy, you believe in God. The greatest proof of God's existence is that joy. Now, the trouble is that we think of joy like that little sliver of glass on the ground with the sun shining on it, and the sun moves, gets behind a cloud, whatever, and where is the light? The joy that we see in this world is dependent upon things. It's dependent on, upon temporary circumstances. And we lose those circumstances and we think that we've lost our joy. No, we've just lost the circumstance. You have a beautiful little thing that you love, maybe a mug or something as simple as a cup, and it's broken. Oh, tears, terrible. It's only a thing for God's sake. Why condition your happiness by anything? Why condition your happiness by the way people treat you? You can be happy anyway. People can scowl. That's their problem. Why let it be your problem? People can shout at you. Be sorry for them if you like, but why get excited about it? As I said yesterday, uh, or in the last talk that we had, I think, that uh, many people, if they were in heaven, it would be hell because there would be nobody to fight with anymore. Everybody being peaceful. Learn to enjoy yourself. You can't get up in the mountains and see that beauty and just be thinking in terms of, oh, how hungry you are. Forget yourself. This is the source of all our problems in life. We think too much of ego, too much of where do I fit in, what do other people think of me. You know, they're probably thinking, what do you think of them? Everybody, this is the one sort of linking thing in the human race, that every ego is thinking of itself and what it wants and what it's getting and what other people are willing to give to it and how other people are treating it. This is what I learned years ago. If people don't love me, if they hate me, if they're angry with me, that doesn't mean I need to condition my reaction toward them. Why react? Instead of reacting, let me act. I choose to love. I choose to be happy. Because I find that then I have what I want to be. I can be. In the worst circumstances, I can still be happy. I know it. Keep God in your heart. Live more in Him. He's the solution to every human problem. Don't think of him as unreal. Don't think of him as a dream. He is your reality. Love unconditionally. Namaskar. What is love? Is it only us? Or does love whisper in the flowers? Just a dream, or does joy last?
in every stream. Are the clouds mindless after all? Or is joy nature's theme? God is dead, so men say. Can't they see is plain, not a church binds him as its own, not a creed makes him fully known, foolish if we limit him, every atom. His What is love? Is it only us? Or does love whisper in the flowers? Surely we children of this world could not love Love we touch in the flower.